Hi and welcome to The Courageous Mama. This week I headed to a farm and had an emotional conversation with a friend of mine who has cystic fibrosis. This week is Cystic Fibrosis Week, 14th to the 20th of June, so it seemed an apt time to talk about what it's like to parent knowing that you have a degenerative disease. I know that many of you listening will have a friend, a family member, or maybe yourself be someone who lives with a condition that affects life and life expectancy. In the case of cystic fibrosis, it's a condition that causes the clogging of organs, and in particular, the lungs, which affects breathing and causes respiratory infections and lung disease. And it currently carries an average life expectancy of 45 years old. Having a progressive illness can be hard to talk about, but these things are a part of life and most certainly a part of the life of my friend Nicola. Nicola spent some of her childhood in Canada, but is now a Cotswold farmer. She's married to Dave and they have one child, Jess, and her day begins with a cocktail of drugs. But if you weren't sitting opposite her as she downs her pile of pills with her coffee, as I have been, you wouldn't know. It is in many ways an invisible illness. So I asked Nicola if she'd be up for sharing some of those unseen issues and how she and her family cope with the possibilities that hang over them. It's an emotional interview because although Nicola is my happy, sunny, optimistic friend, we get to some of the raw facts that are hard for her to face. I chatted with her in among the horses and cows and sheepdogs, and I so appreciated her honesty and her openness. I love that Nicola is so appreciative of all the blessings in her life and of her ever supportive husband, Dave. So that's where we started. Did you always think you'd marry a farmer? Because you're from a farming background, aren't you? Yeah, I'm from a farming background. And when I was 12, I moved to Canada and still stayed farming. So I always thought that, yes, I would end up with a farmer or a cowboy. (laughs) But in my defence, when I met Dave and we got engaged and stuff, he was one of Wiltshire Police's top computer blokes. So he technically, he helped out on his parents' farm, but he wasn't a farmer at that stage. So he's Um, learnt on the job. No, well, obviously, he's always been a farmer's son, so he's always done it. He was, like, working two full-time jobs, effectively. But then we just made the decision that we wanted to do it, too. And it's beautiful here, isn't it? You've it got... is, yeah. We're spoiled because we're only two miles from Cheltenham. It's amazing. Um, and you've got the hills in the background. At horses the Horses in the fields. <laughs> so the hills in the background will disappear in the next seven years. They are putting up 4,000 houses. We have 165 acres and we will be left with 50 acres right? when they put the housing up. And will you still get to stay on the farm? It's all very up in the air. So we are definitely here for another seven years because um, we rent it from the council. As to what happens after that, we don't know. And we might have moved before then if they found another farm for us that f- fits our needs so they don't have to move us out before our tenancy in. So you were dairy farmers, weren't you? We were. We quit dairying in February. Um, We loved the dairy, but it was only paying for itself. We weren't getting any income from it. It covered the bills that involved the dairy, but nothing else. So just explain to people listening, what's changed that it doesn't make it viable for you to Um, dairy farm? So 
we're a small dairy farm. When we were at our highest point, we had 100 cattle. And in order for us to be able to make money from our dairy, we needed to invest in it. Now, because we're on a council farm and because the councils drag their heels with what they're planning to do with the farm, they were supposedly finding us somewhere else to go like a few years ago. We've never invested in this farm in the dairy side like we wanted to because it would have cost a quarter of a million pounds that obviously we don't have but we wouldn't have got that money back if we had had to move but it got to the point where the dairy just wasn't viable because the price of milk is just horrendous for farmers it doesn't matter if it goes up in the supermarket the farmers don't see it um sad to see them go so you've moved across to liveries, yeah? Yeah, we're doing horse liveries, DIY liveries, which means the owners pay for a field and a stable and they have to do like everything. We also sell them hay and straw if they want it and need it. And then we have 13 beef cows. This is your new thing, isn't My it? My new little herd. Because <laughs> last time I came, you had pancake, the little... We still have pancake. Oh. Um, he's adorable. He was obviously born on pancake day. That was our final dairy cow giving birth she is still on the farm as well that one with her baby and then we have 11 heifers that we have reared ourselves like british blue heifers and we have one angus blue cross bull that we're going to breed from and hopefully have some babies and then we'll run them as a suckler herd and then when they're a year old we then get rid of the mums and start again with the babies. When you say get rid of, you mean you oh, sell they'll them go on, for, Yeah, you? they'll go for meat at that yeah. point in time. Does that make you sad? It's a different no, life, isn't it? No, because it's it's a business. Life. Yeah, it's a different way of life. So it's just it a part of the package. Yes, yeah, it's, of course it is. It's just, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean, your life is so entirely different. I mean, tell me what time you would get up to do a dairy herd, to do the um, So when we were milking, Dave was getting up at half five and he'd go out and wake the cows up and stuff. And I would come out at half six to help him actually do the milking. And then obviously you repeat the process in the evening. Amazing. And then we were going to bed by sort of half seven, eight o'clock, ready to start the next day, obviously. Yeah. Oh, um, that's the dog just coming. That's all the, the, the little footprints that you can hear. Hello, sweetheart. So, but then you started to find it difficult, didn't you, to milk the cows because yeah. you have a condition. Yeah, um, I have cystic fibrosis. And when we moved to the farm, when Jessica was two, I did all the milking without Dave. I did all the milking twice a day and looked after a two and a half year old child. Um, his parents were here to help out with Jess, but I did most of it. Jess is now 12 and a half and as the years went on I did less and less because I just couldn't keep up my lung function has dropped and on average I sit between 45 and 50 percent when I'm healthy when I get unwell it drops to 35 percent so just for people listening that's 35 percent of your full lung function yeah. so yeah you're, so you're living full, so lung effectively yes, aren't you? yeah effectively um but it's not it's not obviously just like half lung on one side. Mm. I literally just use the tops of my lungs. Um, the bottom of my lungs have scar tissue in them and I can never gain that capacity back. I have started taking a drug called Caftrio and Caldeco, which is the new triple therapy drug for CF. And although it's giving me more energy, at the moment it's not doing anything with my lung function. 
I met someone the other day whose lung function increased by 26% within a month, which is just amazing. Yeah, that would make a massive difference. Yeah. To be honest, if it just gives me more energy, I'll be happy. Uh, because my days are a lot of them are spent resting and then obviously a lot of that is then spent thinking oh I'm lazy and I don't do this and I don't do that but it's not because I don't want to. So when did you know that you had cystic fibrosis? Um, I found out when I was 16 which is quite old Mm. normally you find out as a baby or in the first couple of years But I found out when I was 16 because I went to the doctor for something else and just had a really intelligent doctor that just looked at it and went, something's not right, let's just investigate. And I'd never even heard of cystic fibrosis then. And I really struggled with that diagnosis because I was 16 and one day I had an annoying cough and the next day I had a degenerative disease that could kill me one day. And I couldn't have children and I couldn't this and I couldn't, and it just, I really struggled with it. Um, That's a huge amount to take in at 16. <laughs> yeah. I, and I have a child, obviously. You do. As so I've said. But she is, um, she's IVF because I couldn't get pregnant because not only does cystic fibrosis affect the mucus in the lungs, it affects the mucus in all of your body. So the sperm were unable to obviously get through. Right. Um, so she's IVF and we caught on the second cycle and she's happy and she's healthy and she doesn't have cystic fibrosis because we tested Dave to make sure he didn't have any common genes because cystic fibrosis both parents have to carry the gene for the baby to contract it. So you could be confident that you weren't going to have a child with cystic fibrosis? Yeah if Dave had um, one of the common cystic fibrosis genes we would not have had a child like of our own we would have adopted one. I know medical science is changing all the time when I met Dave I was 22 and the average age was 34. Um, that's now gone up to 45, maybe a little bit higher. The average age yeah, is 45. Yeah. How do you live with that statistic um, over you? I try not to think about it most of the time. Um, I just try to get on with life. Um, but there are days where it hits you and it hits you really hard, especially when you're in hospital doing intravenous drugs. But this past Friday, I had a moment because I went rock climbing, which I do to try and stay healthy. And I climbed one of the easiest routes in the centre, top roping it, which meant I was hooked on the rope and I could be pulled up effectively. And I only just made it to the top of the wall because by the time I got to the top, my head hurt so much and my muscles just had nothing left in them. And it's just because it's so hot and so humid out, my body just cannot cope. It's struggling to get the oxygen in there anyway. And doing something like that just obliterated me. And I literally cried my eyes out. I was devastated. And do you think you were devastated because you couldn't do it or because it was a reminder of your limitations? Um, Both. So I was devastated because obviously I couldn't do it and I really wanted to do it. But I was devastated because it's like a slap in the face Mm. you go oh yeah actually I do have this illness and yes it does affect me because you try not to well I personally try not to remember it every day I just try to get on with things um but because my lung function has decreased so gradually my body's just adjusted to that lung function so I don't necessarily 
notice it, if that makes sense. I notice it when it drops from like 45 to 35 instantly because walking up the stairs is hard work and by the time I get to the top I am like panting or having a shower. Having a shower is just difficult when your lung function is really low. And is that your indicator that, right, I'm low? But you, you test yourself frequently anyway, don't you, and give your results to uh, the Yes, hospital. so because of COVID, amazing results have happened. I know it's a very bad situation, but it's had some good, positive things as well. Um, so Cafeteria and Caldeco got pushed through a lot quicker than was originally planned. And the government won't say it is, but all of us CF patients say it's because of COVID. And it's also pushed out, so we now do our appointments over the phone, like through, not through Zoom, through the hospital platform. And they've also sent out personal independent spirometry equipment. I can't think of the words, sorry. What does that do for you? Um, so you, you blow through them, you take a deep breath in, and then you blow out as fast and as hard as you oh, can. Oh, I know. I, yes, my dad yeah, had one and of And then those, breathe yeah. back in, and that will give you your like lung capacity yes. at the moment mm. so I actually did one this morning and mine has come up as 42 percent so it, that's a bit low for yeah you, so it, it is lower which doesn't surprise me I thought it would be lower so I have a feeling that I will be receiving a phone call suggesting quite firmly that I go into hospital sometime soon so it sounds like through the COVID times, you've had greater access to the hospital and to drugs that were being withheld from yeah. you. So that's been a positive for you. Yeah. You hate hospital, don't you? I hate hospital. I, It's at least an hour away from home, and that's on a good day with traffic. Um, it stresses Dave out. It stresses Jess out. She did not used to cope with it when she was younger. Um, obviously, being a teen, she's better now. But when you're in a hospital setting it really reminds you that you have this illness and actually this illness is a lot more serious than you like to remember. I do IVs three times a day when I'm in and the one IV makes me so sick I have to have IV anti-nausea to go with it and you do physio twice a day with, with the physios and it's just, uh, they make it as fun as they can. Like, I love the physios. I'm going to give a shout out to Tom because he's just he's awesome he the amount of times he's been my physio but also my frustration person and like I just cry my eyes out and he's just so good about it you've often Um, spoken highly of the staff there yeah the staff are amazing you don't feel like a number you feel like a person and you've got some strange wibbly wobbly things sticking out of your skin (laughs) so So I have something that's called a portacaf yes and you can have it put anywhere on your body. It's entirely up to you. I chose to have mine on the left side. Just under your T-shirt line, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, sort yeah, of where your bra straps go, yeah. effectively. Yeah. And it is a stainless steel little oval shape with a silicone front. And then, obviously, it's got a pipe coming off the back of it. And that pipe is fed through my veins until it hits my heart. And what it means is, if I need IVs, it's instant access. They literally jam a needle into it that then sits there for two weeks and I can start the IVs that day and because it's going straight to my heart it's an instant effect within 24 hours of starting IVs I sleep for 36 hours because they hit you so hard it's like putting domestos into your system and the ports themselves when I got it I got it because I was doing IVs every three months 
and when I got it, I was a lot slimmer. I weighed 47 kilograms and I'm five foot three. So I was well underweight, but that was because of my CF. Um, and I hated it because it stuck out. And I was really, I could clearly see it. No one else could see it, but I could see it and I hated it. But now, 10 years on, I love it because it just removes the stress of trying to get in to have a pick line put in, which is where they put it into your arm. Mm. If I need IVs, I just start them. It's just so much simpler. Isn't that interesting? You hated it. I hated it's it. It's turned into gratitude. Yeah. Um, it means I see a nurse every six weeks so they can keep an eye on me because it has to be flushed. So they put saline through it. They fill it with heparin to keep the line open because otherwise the blood obviously will clot in the line and then you can't use it anymore. So... You've explained that you, your first reaction to it was resistance. I know that from previous conversations <laughs> that we've had. And then you kind of got used to the idea and you leaned into it. And amazingly, you managed to have Jess. Yeah. And it sounds like from day to day, you live as though I'm a perfectly normal person. And then you get confronted with it when you have a limitation, like climbing a wall or being in hospital and you have to look at it. How does Dave manage with all of that? Um... So Dave is my rock. Um, he literally, he works so hard. He is constantly working. Um, and he's either working on the farm or he's working with the signals regiment that he is in the reserve army. He just doesn't stop. Um, so Dave's way of dealing with it is just to almost ignore it. Keep busy. Yeah, keep busy. And then when it's time for me to go into hospital, we generally have a little bit of a confrontation because he doesn't want me to go. And then he's reminded that I'm ill and I could, you know, one day not be here. And and then once I've been in for a few days, then it's fine. Um, it's like a process. And is that quite good, that moment for you both, where you get to, you know, chat about it together? Um, no. <laughs> I don't think so because it's... Like, cause obviously by that point I'm really emotional because I don't really want to be going into hospital but I know that I need to. And he's emotional because he doesn't want me to go in because obviously he loves me and it's, again, that's a reminder for him, isn't it? Mm. You know, he also just gets on with life every day and I have some days where I need to rest all day and that's fine. But it's just, that's just part of life. But when you're faced with having to go into hospital it's like the rug's been pulled out from underneath you and all those little secrets that you've kept down there about cystic fibrosis rear their heads. And Dave's amazing, isn't he? Like you say, he is your amazing farmhand. He's a great supporter, isn't he, when you're having your down days? Yeah, he is. And you're um, well supported. I am. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to have him. I have had my own problems obviously with Gem and Jess was little and she was my lungs were at 35% and stuff um, and I threatened to walk away and stuff but not because I stopped loving him but because I just couldn't cope with my problems with my CF and the child and my head and he stood by me he stood by everything I've ever put him through and I would never change him in any way shape or form it's a mind game though, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's a, it's a constant mind battle, definitely. I suffer with um, depression and anxiety. It took me a really long time to admit that. I also have postnatal depression, 
when Jess was six months old. And I would say to anybody, you feel like that, go straight to your doctor. There is no shame in getting help. I wish I'd done it sooner. But the medication that I take for my cystic fibrosis can cause anxiety. So I'm taking anxiety medications because my cystic fibrosis medications cause anxiety. So it's like a knock-on effect. Do you ever talk about the years that you might not see? Is that an open conversation? Uh, No, not really, but we have made some changes in our life, which is Jessica is home educated and has been since year four. And Mm. part of the reason for that is because school didn't work for her and it was just so stressful. And we thought, well, I might not be here in 10 years time. I didn't want the next 10 years to just be one solid argument because I was forcing her to do homework and forcing her to go to school. So we've pulled her out and we're now doing home education, but we're also enjoying these years in case something does go wrong. Because you don't know. I mean, equally, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. But when you've got something in your head that's constantly there, you're just aware of it. Does that make sense? Like, I'm aware that I might not see my grandchildren. You know, I've kept stuff from when Jess was a baby from my grandchildren. But realistically, I don't know if I'm going to see them because I might not be here. And although statistically it's around 45 and you are how old Uh, now? 38. 38. There must be in that case cases of people who lose their battle much younger. Oh yeah. People that actually end up Um, living So there's a lot of people that lose their battle young and there are patients that are being diagnosed with cystic fibrosis now at like 70 years old. The thing with cystic fibrosis is it affects everybody so, so differently. My sister has cystic fibrosis and we have the exact same genetic makeup. Now she's only been hospitalized once and that was for half a week. Um, and she's only ever done a one other course of IVs. Whereas I was doing IVs every three months for years. Mm. And I have less than 50% of my lungs and she has 80% of her lungs. It's just so personal. There is it's so interesting because looking at you, you are very that's fit. That's the hardest thing. Very healthy looking. I look fine mm-hmm. and I, I always fear that people look at me and just think, oh, she's a kept woman or she's, like, she's lazy or there's nothing wrong with her um, because I look healthy. I'm brown and I am always try to be happy and... I just look well and actually in some ways that makes you feel worse because it makes you feel like you're making it up. That's how I feel. I so feel you like, mind how other people perceive you? Yeah, I know I shouldn't, but I feel like I'm making my illness up. I feel like I'm not ill and I'm wasting like the hospital's time. And That's a horrible thing to have to live with. And I notice you use the word laziness. That is just something that you do not want to be labelled with. Is that because you're from farm stock and... Um, I don't know. I think that's just something that is well and truly ingrained in my brain. I don't know. It's just... 
it's just an emotional roller coaster having cystic fibrosis. Um, Do you sometimes wish it was one of those things that you could wear, like a broken leg or? A <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, it's invisible, isn't it? A lot of the time when I go out, I have shirts that say cystic fibrosis awareness on them. And on the back it says become an organ donor. Because I trained really hard to do a um, Tough Mudder a few years ago. While I was healthy enough to do it, but only half, obviously. But we had these shirts made up and I wear mine like at least once or twice a week. Because I want to get the awareness out there about it. Um, because so many people don't know and I think at least if I'm wearing my shirt then someone might ask me oh, how come you're wearing that shirt and then I can explain and I think for that reason it's just a brilliant thing to podcast on because what you're talking about here is A, cystic fibrosis and what it is and it's an awareness and B, it's a mother who's living with a cloud over her and trying to find it's the joy and happiness. It's not just over me though, is it? It's over, it's over Jessica. Mm. Um, so with COVID, Jessica was just terrified. Even though we didn't see anybody, but she was terrified that um, I would catch it and mm. I would die. I'm vaccinated, obviously, but even now going out, although we're careful with where we go, she literally will not take her face mask off, even when she's outside, even when she's climbing and she you know it's so hot in there she literally will not take her face mask off she is an amazing girl yes she is what i normally do at this point in the podcast is i ask you what's the courageous thing that you've done in your life but everything that we've talked about is courageous here yeah, thank you so what i'd love to do is ask you what's the courageous thing that jess is doing in her life uh so jessica and her best friend and another friend are walking the Cotswold Way from Bath to Chipping Camden and it's 102 miles in total and they are walking it in 12 mile stretches so they're hoping to do it in eight legs but it might be nine and they're raising funds for cystic fibrosis now they did a leg this weekend in this hot heat we made them get up at five o'clock and I dropped them off at six to start their walking and my husband's walking with them as a safety feature but they're doing all map reading and stuff themselves and he kept lying to them how far they'd gone because they were <laughs> desperate to do 10 miles and I went there to pick them up six hours later and they'd actually done 13 miles oh, wow. it's the longest distance they've done yet it's a huge amount for 12 yeah. year olds um so it's one Jess is 12 and two 13 year old girls and, and I saw a photograph of them and they looked like they didn't have a puff of breath no, left in them. No, the first one that they did, they were absolutely shattered when they got back. But they're carrying all their own kit and realising that they need to wear leggings and not shorts because they get stung by stingy nettles. And yeah, it's just amazing. I'm so proud of her for doing it. And her reason for doing it, she says, is because I'm her hero and I can't do it. What a special family they are and what a wonderful thing Jess is doing in honour of her mum and to raise money in aid of cystic fibrosis. I've popped the link in the show notes if you'd like to send them a donation and even if it's only a very, very small one, please do send it anyway. Nicola says every penny makes a difference. 
I'll also pop a link to my blog where you as a listener can get £5 off the book Parenting for Life. If you'd love some great gritty tips on how to raise emotionally healthy children, it's a super book to own. In fact, in the words of one of my readers, if I only ever bought one book on parenting, this would be it. And if you want to get hold of me, that's easily done. I'm the Courageous Mama everywhere. On Insta, on the blog, on the pod and by Gmail. And I'll pop the link in the show notes too so that you can contact me if you want to book a parenting session, inquire about courses, recommend someone who you think would make a great guest on the podcast. I'm looking for a few dads at the moment. Or just to let me know what you've enjoyed about this or other podcasts. It's so encouraging to me to hear back from you. Speaking of which, please do pop to the bottom of the list of podcasts on The Courageous Mama to rate and review. That helps me and it helps people to find me. Have a super sunny week. 